In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Duberman, the news director at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and the writer of the Betches Sub newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and sub-video contributor. Another Monday, another Monday. How are our weekends? How are we feeling today? I had a very relaxed weekend. Um, yeah, not, I mean, I feel like I'm like getting into the back-to-school energy, even yeah, though yeah, it's yeah. like summer hot still. But yeah, not too much to report. You know, um, I did a bunch of laundry yesterday. Beautiful. And then my dog pissed on it. So no, like on the pile, <laughs> on the laundry bag, no. on some of the the clothes, and on my blankets. So I have to do no. new laundry. No, Tino. Oh no, <laughs> little devil. That's horrible, little devil. You know what? Even despite that, I think that we probably had better weekends than Rudy Giuliani, simply because of the degree. Of financial ruin that he is in. We were chatting over the weekend. True, always for all of <laughs> always. us. Like Ever- and for all of our <laughs> listeners, may you always have a better weekend than Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I hope so. Even when you're dripping hair dye at the salon, may you always have a better day. Donald Trump over the weekend was holding a fundraiser for Rudy Giuliani's legal bills because Rudy Giuliani is broke. Donald Trump hosted a (laughs) exactly $100,000 a plate fundraiser for Rudy Giuliani in New Jersey. This is first just pause to acknowledge that like (laughs) to me, it's like sort of giving like you would think it's giving, you know, Kylie Jenner sharing a GoFundMe, except that as we know, Donald Trump is not wealthy. He is not as wealthy as he presents. So it's very funny to me that instead of just pay for Giuliani's legal bills, he's holding $100,000 a plate fundraisers for them in New Jersey, where Giuliani is being charged with RICO crimes, which really just feels um, feels fulfilling in a way. It feels good on the brain. <laughs> uh, sorry, when you texted this, I thought you said $10,000. And I'm like, that's a little low. But then uh, $100,000 is like... Oh, I thought you found a lower tier. No, these are $100,000 a plate that is a hundred thousand dollars for the most well done steak with ketchup <laughs> that you've ever had with Donald Trump there. Please, please, nowhere else I would rather not be. I'm just like at this point, right? Trump has like the Republican Party has rich donors, like that's just reality. And there are people who are like on the Trump train no matter what. And some of those people are rich, but I can't imagine the Venn diagram of people who are rich enough to pay a hundred thousand dollars a plate and people who want to be publicly associated with 
Four Seasons Total Landscaping <laughs> and Mr. Rico himself, Rudy Giuliani. Right. Well, Millie, we know it's about 10 people because <laughs> Andrew oh, wow. Giuliani, his son, basically said, uh, we're going to raise about a million dollars. That's their hope. So they they just the hope they people. can get 10 people <laughs> to come to this $100,000 plate. Listen, I know people, I'm not in fundraising. I know at those numbers, maybe 10 is like, is is great but the venn diagram you're right it's 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 small and they're apparently going to try to do this in mar-a-lago too <laughs> i well you know here as someone who's hosted you know a lot of comedy shows yep. and stuff you know with 10 people you get the comedians to hey. sit in the audience as well yeah it starts looking like a show <laughs> if we're talking like support stuff <laughs> Right? If they get to sit down. Exactly. You pull some people in from the bar. Yeah. You make them sit. It looks almost like a decently full room. I was going to say, I wonder if this counts the people that bought a ticket but didn't go, which I think, unfortunately, I will admit does happen to me for lots of comedy shows. For comedy shows? Um, I feel like if you spend $100,000, I mean, You want your steak well done. You want want your well done steak, but I'm also like, maybe it's just somebody in solidarity, but I'm also like- very smart of them to do it in New Jersey because, as we know, it's a tax haven because it's technically a cemetery now. Because um, Ivana is uh-huh. uh, is laid to Maybe rest there. buried there. Maybe she is. <laughs> I I love the conspiracy theory that the the coffin is just full Me of too. like documents and stuff. Well, That's one of my favorite ones. The other ones are like that he did it, but you know, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. So this fundraiser, I guess, happened. Maybe there were 10 people there. That was that was the hope. Andrew has led the fundraising charge. Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's son. He has led the fundraising charge for his father via two groups, namely the Giuliani Defense Pack and the Rudy Giuliani Freedom Fund. Very so cool. we have those for Giuliani because he faces, I mean, he's being indicted. He has indictments coming out of his asshole. Everyone, he owes money to everybody. I don't think he can really practice law. Like certainly nobody's mm-hmm. hiring him to. No. He faces indictments in Fulton County as well as those legal fees for the two women he defamed in Georgia and a defamation settlement to those same women that will be determined. And it's like, we talk a lot about this company, about the, sort of the cycle of poverty and how it's expensive to be broke. Rudy Giuliani, one of the reasons he had to admit defeat in the defamation case was because he wasn't able to provide documents and discovery because I guess he had to pay $15,000 to undertake like a search of his phone records and he couldn't do it. He didn't have it. He wasn't able to like pay the bills for data storage. This man can't pay his bills. And um, it is really iCloud. He can't pay the extra to like fee to like keep his cloud. <laughs> so that's Ju- that is Rudy. Rudy is not doing well. He is not okay. He is not in. He is a frequent flyer in men. Okay, but we've reserved. Um, somebody else has taken the position. But that was Rudy Giuliani's weekend, spending his time with Trump and nine others, trying to find pay his rent. I will say there is something beautiful about the fact that these. 10 racist assholes because there's no way you're donating to Rudy Giuliani $100,000 if you're not like a racist asshole that ultimately their money is going to end up going at least in part to those two women in Georgia who true pay who he that's a beautiful way to look at it ruined ruined their lives so ultimately they're just for no reason yeah because he's disgusting so ultimately a, a portion of this oh, money justice, is going to go to yes. them. We don't know it's how true. much they're going to be awarded yet. Mm-hmm, so they could mm-hmm. award them all of it. And I love that. We're totally really fucked. Trump is holding fundraisers for the women that Trump also said terrible things about. Yeah. And shared really damaging information about. 
Yeah. Oh, Rudy. Oh, Rudy. He will feature prominently in all of our future episodes. That is our Rudy take for the day. We will start with a number. Definitely pause on a serious note for this segment. Today's number is 40. That's the percent of 9-11 victims who remain unidentified. I did not know this until today. According to the mayor's office, um, two victims were finally identified a few days ago using advanced DNA testing. And they are, they are two of about 1,100 people who are thought to have died in the disaster, who are reported missing, but just who have not been found. Remains have not been found. Um, this is, you know, obviously how they perished, but their families have not gotten the closure to sort of, you know, have identified them, have found them among the wreckage, and to sort of have that closure. These are death certificates were issued for all of those people, 2,753 people, all of whom were reported missing that day. Um, I'm sure there are some people very tragically who haven't been identified at, at all. Maybe didn't have close relationships with their family. And there's there's really amazing people working really hard to this day, every day, some of them professionally, some of them, you know, people that do it in their free time to figure out who these people are connect them with loved ones, make sure that they sort of have have graves and have recognition of the end of their lives. Medical examiners have described this attempt to connect all names to remains as, quote, the largest and most complex forensic investigation in the history of our country. Obviously, 9-11, we think about it every year. We think about it all the time. I, It's something that I don't, we think about how it impacted the country, how it impacted all of our lives. Just as New Yorkers, I think it's hard for us to imagine how that, what that could have been like happening here, mm-hmm. a catastrophe on that scale. But something I've never really thought about much is that, I, I, this is going to sound callous when I say it, but like as like a true crime story, but as like a, a massive criminal offense that happened that people are still trying to get closure on, still trying to identify people. Um the fact that that's still ongoing and there are so many people invested in that is is incredible. Thank goodness for the mayor's office that's cutting every budget by 5%. But mm-hmm. <laughs> again, it's just like the death of all these people in one day, but also like the effects of everyone who worked on the site, who were was near the site, they've all had that we're still fighting today. You know, John Stewart was mm-hmm. in um, testifying in Congress Last year, a year ago, or two years ago? Ten years ago, who knows? No, (laughs) I mean, about, like, not having enough funds to, for the survivors of that. So we're still seeing the effects on, like, that real true crime level. And and the fact that there's 40 people that... 40%. Oh, 40%. Jesus Christ. It's just, it's just really upsetting. But... Yeah. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. I feel like most of what can be said about yeah. 9-11 has been said, but I, whenever the day comes around, it is wild to think about how much time has passed and just how massive, massively that affected every single thing that came after. Mm-hmm. Like all of the political stuff we talk about on this podcast, every like political event that I've really experienced in my life is in the shadow of that event. And yeah, it's just an interesting time to be in the city when they like shine the two lights up from lower Manhattan. Um, It's always kind of sad. And then it like makes you think about like, oh, I would be able to see these buildings had this thing not occurred. Right. And the thought that that like, we absolutely, all of us, any would have known somebody 
those those buildings house so many offices, so many people worked there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think this every year, more and more the past couple of years, and I think I've said this on the podcast before that I think we were pretty much at the age where like it felt like we could sort of we saw what happened. So it wasn't like we were little kids where people sat us down and really explained to us. I think I mean, I know for me at least, it's just sort of okay, like you're 13, you saw what happened, and then to sort of really then process it as an adult. I remember the 20th anniversary. Um, when there was kind of like the most kind of footage and like really a ton of discourse about it, kind of like re-experiencing as, a, as an adult. I realized I just sort of like gone through my teens and most of my 20s, like that horrible thing that happened, but I'd never actually processed it as an adult because, you know, we were too old. We we experienced it. So nobody taught us about it in school like they might for Gen Z. But yeah, for me, for me every year, just becoming older and older and like having, you know, more more life behind us to understand like what a what an unbelievably unthinkable day that could have been since we haven't fortunately in this country seen anything like it since. Talking about like processing it as an adult, I did AmeriCorps uh, right after I graduated college. And um, the first like September 11th, 2011, I was what we had like this day of volunteering and we had a guest speaker and he was someone who was in the towers and just, he just shared his story. Like he's like a, a speaker now. And he just shared a story about like what it was like, like he got in a fight with his sister the day before and he like literally called her a bitch. And then like, just what it was like to have to walk across the, you know, the George Washington bridge and like hop on the back of a garbage, like, and everyone was looking for him and all this stuff. And like hearing that like firsthand was really something that reoriented this Mm -hmm. of like, even if you did survive, even, you know, again, like there's only one tower now, you know, the world trade center there were two before with that many people. We definitely mm-hmm. would have known people that worked there. But like, even if you did survive and you're like, quote, one of the lucky ones, like it was insanely traumatic for like everybody. Everyone's looking for people, all that. So like having that mm-hmm. processed as again, processing that as an adult is really important, especially because. It was such a tool, you know, by Republicans to be like America and like Mm -hmm. enter us into all these unsavory situations that have taken us literally until now to get out of. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just like the collective memory of that is like always sticks with me with hearing from this guy's story. Yeah. And while we're sort of, you know, taking a break from our our lighter fare, not that today's topics are light, but we will we will probably have some jokes within them. Um, just to acknowledge the unthinkable tragedy in Morocco, it's just unthinkable. I, I have no words. Um, death and destruction on that level in a place where people don't have the resources to rebuild. Once again, we saw this last year in Turkey and Syria. Mm. It's unthinkable and our thoughts are with them. And if you have friends or family um, that are over there, we'll continue sharing resources on our other platforms. Or you can directly click on things with 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 how to help. You know, I know people are looking for, for ways to help, but just sort of like holding space like we just, you know, for the tragedy, for what people are going for is kind of unfortunately, it feels like the most that, that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty five hundred. I think I when I was writing for the newsletter today, the death toll there was 2,500. Yeah. So it's very similar to the numbers Jesus. we were just talking about for 9-11, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah, which is a number that, you know, doesn't not touch anyone in that community. So definitely yeah. thinking of that today.
Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. All right, for our main news today, we do have a big old trigger warning on today's news. You probably know what the topic is. Uh, Today's Main news discussion will include references to sexual assault and rape. All right. So last week, Danny Masterson was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison after a jury found him guilty of two forcible rape charges. Masterson was accused of raping three women at his home between 2001 and 2003, which is just noteworthy because it's the time that he was he was on that 70s show when um, when that happened. So, you know, just to take a moment to recognize and remind ourselves how hard it is to get somebody convicted of rape, to get somebody mm-hmm. convicted of raping two different women with two different stories. That that that's mm-hmm. rarely happens. That is so fucking hard to actually, um, I, I, I want to say achieve, but what yeah. people have to go through, it's very difficult because it's a serious allegation. Also with that much time, like, Absolutely. I, like the more time that elapses, like, even if you're still within the statute of limitations, when it gets easier and easier for the other side to play the he said, she said game, the longer time has elapsed. So the fact that he was convicted of raping two women with that much time, again, between 2001 and 2003, so we're talking 20 years ago, 
the evidence must have been pretty intense. And it was actually three women who brought charges, but they weren't, the jury wasn't able to agree on one who had been his former girlfriend, which just goes to show, mm. again, like, the, if there's any doubt, it may, makes it a lot, a lot harder. Like, if someone can say, oh, but she was my girlfriend, then mm -hmm. it makes it harder, even though we all know that you can still sexually assault your girlfriend. Exactly. They cleared every hurdle that is put in front of victims when they are asked, but what about this? But what about that? And they said, yes, I have an answer for that. We obviously believe all victims, but just just to like the fact that they got two convictions here is is there's just no question and, that this man did this. There's no question. And also just like I read this really great article by The Cut titled Everything You Need to Know About the Danny Re Masterson Rape Trial by uh, Bindu and Angelina. <laughs> My homegirl. I, I don't know. That. <laughs> um, I just. But um, they, you know, there were five accusers. So, again, like this is two out of five. So just goes to show again, like. Mm -hmm. You know, we said the one and only three were tried Two were like they really tried to throw out Absolutely. these cases. And the first trial, the first trial, I think, ended. I don't know if it was a mistrial. The jury couldn't come up with anything. It was a mistrial because the, the, the jury was divided. Yes. But a big change in the second trial was that in the first trial, basically, I think the prosecution wasn't allowed to imply or say it wasn't allowed to imply or strongly suggest that he had drugged them. It could simply say like they were they were drowsy, they were weak, they they felt like they couldn't remember. And then this trial, I think there was something where they were they were allowed to make that explicit suggestion, mm -hmm. and it seems like that might have you know had an had an impact on on the jury decision. But also just noteworthy that you know in the prior jury they also they never decided that he he didn't do it. Um, yeah. So against all of this, two of these convictions happened, and this man was sentenced. Based on all of that information, he didn't have to be given those mass, you know, 15 for each one. But the judge had very, very strong statements for him. It's like also sinister with the drug thing. It's because like all the people that love him that we're going to talk about later, like he's very anti-drug and like categorically sober and everything. So the fact that he like used just something sinister and like mm -hmm. he is a threat to society. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, it's a weird Cosby parallel there. So also mm -hmm. take another one. Not only did these two women get a conviction, which is so fucking hard, but they, they pursued this against a member of the church of Scientology. So like, Again, just no question that this man did this and that these survivors were so determined to get justice. So the defendant and their family in cases like this, pretty much all cases, I think, can invite people to write a character letter to the judge. So after he's convicted, they, the idea is that these letters can paint a holistic picture of a person beyond their criminal offense. You know, if you imagine somebody who is arrested for burglary you can imagine a letter saying this is, you know, a lapse in judgment that an otherwise good person, mm -hmm. um, you know, experienced. Journalist Tony Ortega, who covers the Church of Scientology, he obtained these letters and printed them in full. Listen, is there a way to write these letters without undermining rake victims' claims and experiences? I don't know. I'm not convinced there is, but it was absolutely not on display from Ashton Kutcher and Mina Kunis. By now, I think our listeners have have read it. Uh, the man described by survivors at the sentencing and the man described by Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis in their letters, they are not the same man and they cannot exist in one being. Like, it's, it's just not possible. Like, this is a thought I wish had gone through Ashton and Mila's head before they sent letters to the judge. I won't read the whole letters, but I will summarize some of the most, you know, the lines that stuck out to me. Mila Kunis wrote in hers, quote, I wholeheartedly vouch for Danny Masterson's exceptional character and the tremendous positive influence he has had on me and the people around him. 
Ashton Kutcher described Masterson as a, quote, role model who helped keep him away from drugs. Again, constantly talking about how, oh, I was so close to being a drug addict. I was just on the edge. But Danny pulled me back. He describes mm-hmm. one bizarre thing where it's like Danny Masterson can't hurt. Like he doesn't say, he describes a bizarre event where like Ashton and Danny are at a pizza parlor and some guy comes in with his girlfriend and is being mean to his girlfriend. And Danny's like, hey, don't be mean to your girlfriend. It's like, oh, well, what kind of that kind of guy can't rape anybody. Absolutely. Just completely irrelevant. And he raped five people. So he raped five people. <laughs> yeah. Probably more. They are both constantly invoking Masterson's daughter and what an injustice it would be to take a father away from her daughter. And Ashton is like, he's actually the only person I feel safe leaving my own daughter alone with. Ah. I wouldn't do that. Ah. And numerous other actors (laughs) from that 70s show did write letters for Masterson. That doesn't really, I don't say that to say like, see, it wasn't just Mila and Ashton. He must've been a good, a good guy. Just to note that like this man seems to have pulled one over on a lot of people, but you know, Lots of thoughts on this, lots of reactions to this. You know, I think a lot of us there, it is upsetting that this man is now going to leave his family because he did. It's upsetting. He undertook actions that are going to take it. That, that's his fault. So it's like their inability to square the man they knew with a violent rapist. That is their problem to sort out. That is their journey. That is something they need to work through. That is definitely difficult. If you have somebody that you looked up to and t- turns out they were fucking terrible, uh, Elise has a very good one hour comedy special on it. It's your journey. It's your journey. It has nothing yeah. to do with the judge. Uh, it has nothing. And I, I should clarify if you don't know, it's at least this is about <laughs> Jake, Jake Rowling, Rowling, not a serial rapist. <laughs> <laughs> and squaring her being transphobic with not, really not liking this, Harry Potter. But, like, but just this insistence that no, the guy I knew. So before we go on to their their kind of video reaction to the reactions. What were your thoughts reading the letters and hearing that they had written them? I I feel similarly to you. Like, is there a way to write a letter like this for someone who's convicted of rape that squares the fact that he was convicted with of rape with your personal feeling? I don't know, but to go so like for Mila Kunis to say, I wholeheartedly endorse his exceptional character like the the letters are effusive in a way that is really uh it's really Mm -hmm. giving that they don't believe that he did this um which we can also when we get into the discussion of the video that'll come back and honestly taking it away from my one woman comedy show i actually have been in a situation where in my early 20s a friend of mine, a woman came forward and um, accused him of rape. And I believe her. It wasn't something that like went to trial or anything like that. So technically it's still an accusation, but it was something that was extremely shocking to my friend group was really, really hard for us to deal with. Um, It required me to emotionally square a lot of different things with the person that I thought I knew and what this person was saying. But at the end of the day, you know, I believe what this woman said about him and I had to end that friendship and, you know, move forward. And I just, I can't imagine a world in which I wrote a character letter for him and said like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, was there internal turmoil that I personally experienced learning this and parsing it out in my own mind? Yes. But to actually come out, put pen to paper and say, like, this person is an exceptional person and all of this stuff after a long trial and shit, too. Like, they've actually had a lot of time to figure out their feelings about this 
situation. You know, like these allegations have been out there. There's been a whole trial, all of that stuff. Like this isn't like they wrote, they, the news came out and they just wrote a letter and sent it off. It's like, they've had a lot of time to work through these feelings and to still put such an effusive defense of him. That is really hard for me to understand as someone who has experienced something similar. It's one thing to be like, you know, I know my friend did this, but I know that he's also like made a lot of effort to grow and change as a person. And like, just acknowledge. Yeah. I think that's the thing that's glaring in the letters is like, there's no acknowledgement again of the victims of this. Like it's also, it's also really hard but also very possible that somebody who is very nice to people of status, again, other famous, world-famous actors, like the 70s show was a super popular show. Everyone was an insane celebrity at the time. Of course someone's going to be really fucking nice to you. That doesn't mean that they don't have, they're not capable of evil shit or you know so I guess those are the two things that stuck out with me it was like that's always this thing with rapists or with abusers or with stuff it's like well he was nice to me and it's like that doesn't take it away you know and even I I understand those difficult feelings because the whole point and I mean that's another kind of gripe with um that I personally have with efforts like Ashton's like super shady thorn and all this stuff of like, you know, Oh, sex trafficking. There's these evil people. It's like a lot of it is done in house by people that, you know, and that's where the real work needs to happen. You know, it's like how to have these conversations and navigate. And maybe you don't, maybe you don't want somebody to not be with their daughter for 30 years, but it also takes accountability from everybody. And it's also like, it wasn't just the one issue where there was a misunderstanding or miscommunication. It was violent. Guns were pulled out. Like the, the, the details of this case were really, really fucked up. So that it's like leaves people no choice, but to convict them with that for that much. But it's also like, yeah, I guess that's the difficult part. It's like, acknowledging that just because someone was nice to you doesn't mean that they're not capable of abuse. And then also that there was no acknowledgement at all. Like that. Okay. Maybe he did do these things, but he's grown and changed a lot. And now he's a family. It's like, that's such a interesting point. I hadn't clocked that, but yeah, most, most character letters sort of describe like they went through this and here's the steps they've taken. Just like you said, but this one, like the time that they are describing when he was so important to them is exactly when he was violently raping women. So it's like, actually he didn't have exceptional care. And you know, I checked myself a lot before making sure I felt comfortable saying this because I didn't want to be harder on women, but I find Mila Kunis's letter considerably worse because clearly Ashton Kutcher was told repeatedly, clearly they both were only talk about your own experience with him. Do not make sweeping generalizations. Say, this is what he did for me, but she is just giving generalization after generalization, exceptional character. Like you said, like they're just not recognizing that the man that they are seeing in that, unfortunately that was not true. He doesn't have exceptional character. This is, that is, this is, that has been abrogated by everything we have just seen. And like, you're allowed to mourn that privately. So 
now let's talk about the video that they posted over the weekend reacting to the publication of the letters. So I saw a lot of headlines saying they apologized for letters. They, they didn't really apologize like for writing the letters or express any regret over them, but they did say they were sorry for the pain they had caused. They almost seemed slightly like sort of defiant um, that the letters, they were like, this was meant for the judge only. Um, they said they didn't expect for them to be released more widely. That's not the problem. People aren't mad the letters are out. People are mad they wrote them. They also pointed, like Millie said vaguely, to other work that they do to support victims as sexual abuse. Mila Kunis said, she said, quote, the letters were not meant to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling. And Ashton added that the letters didn't mean to undermine the victim's testimony and that they never wanted to re-traumatize the victims and that they were sorry if they had taken place. I don't know how you don't see that coming. Of course, of course you are questioning the legitimacy of the judicial system and the validity of the judge's ruling. Like, just because you're saying you didn't do that doesn't mean you didn't. Yeah. The thing that stuck out to me, number one, is that they seem pissed that the letters yeah. came out. Like that they had to do the video at all. Yeah, exactly. Like they I they're just like the letters were meant for the judge. And it's like, you know, we know that they weren't meant to be seen, but we've seen them. And the point is that you sent a letter for the judge saying that a guy who was just convicted of violently raping two people is an exceptional individual and a role model and a great dad and like all this fucking imagine crap. reading that as the victim. I mean, just imagine reading that. I can't I can't. And the other thing that stuck out to me is that I think Mila Kunis is like, we support all victims or whatever, but they never actually specifically say that they believe Danny Masterson's mm -hmm. victims. They say yeah. like, we believe victims, we believe women, whatever, but they never say we believe that Danny Masterson did do this which I think was that also really, really stuck out to me. And I, I think that they don't believe it. No, no, that's don't. a glaring omission. I mean, you only omit that if, if you don't mean it. And like you said, yeah. they didn't say, uh, they said specifically they didn't want to like question, um, Oh, undermine the victim's testimony. That's a very specific phrase. They, they yeah. don't believe it. They don't believe. And like I said, like, listen, People have had friends and they don't believe like this is so obvious that this happened to such an extreme degree. And it's just like so gross. And Christina Ricci posted basically exactly what you just said, Elise, you know, so thoughtfully that like, you know, we've all like it's destabilizing when people that we thought were good dudes. Sorry, usually dudes when we're given evidence to the contrary, really disturbing evidence to the contrary. But like you, you can't insist on your own positive experiences with an abuser. That's dangerous. It is harmful. It's a journey that we can all acknowledge is challenging and destabilizing, but like privately go to therapy, Mila and Ashton. Like this is, you don't write, write this letter. And yeah, that was, I didn't see any, yeah, any any regret. Um, yeah, it's, I think that was the most disturbing part of their reaction is just like, oh, yeah, they don't believe them. Like writing the letters, it sort of was like maybe they just don't. They're like, yeah, he did this, but we don't think he deserves this kind of punishment. But yeah, I'm not I it really doesn't seem like they believe that he. Yeah, they didn't crimes. even acknowledge that he did it. They were just like. He would never. He's so great. And, and maybe that's just, for like, I don't know, maybe there's legal reasons. Maybe there's like an appeal or or something. But it's just it's just disappointing. Mila, again, seems like Ashton seemed like I don't know which one I, you know, I, I read a, by read. I mean, I watched a lot of TikToks about like analyzing the body language and the tone between the two, because Ashton's way more robotic and Mila's way more 
enticed and like emphasizing different words they're clearly reading it from a teleprompter mm-hmm. um or like some kind of document and taking turns and like the pauses don't sound natural but it's also like yeah it's it's this it's this thing of like annoyance of like you think they never thought that the things were going to get to light and they never thought that people would be mad at them and like they're kind of annoyed that they even have to address that people are mad at them you know it's just kind of like that kind of disconnect when it's like Elise just mentioned a similar situation and she's Elise Morales she's my friend I love her but it's like she was not on that 70s show and she still wouldn't pen a fucking letter it's like you are famous. You have to assume that everything that you do fucking comes out. People are pissed. And yeah, even like even I wanted them to have the thought where it's like, you know what, as a lay person, even if I feel this way, maybe that would be more acceptable. But as a person with an incredible amount of power, this is going to come off as us not believe it. Like this is just not good for the discourse and is not actually going because they're not the only there's a couple other people on. The, it's also it's also like most of the other character letters are written by other people on that 70s show. And I'm like, I was like, okay, this just tells me like, that's the only place you ever made a positive impression on people. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're on your best fucking behavior. He's at work. I mean, well, except apparently, well, I mean, there have been, so this has prompted some, if, if, if for no other reason not to write a character letter defending a serial rapist, um, maybe somebody on your team should remind, remind you that there are old TV interviews in which you are being super gross about the 14-year-old actress who you kissed when you were much older than her and ultimately married. There have been some interviews that people have posted since then. Kind of like, I don't know if they necessarily are meant to kind of, I mean, one of them explicitly, so like Ashton Kutcher talks about how he was... Um, Mila Kunis's first kiss on set. She was 14. He's like 19 or something or 18. 20. 20. And he says he that they 20. 20. Thank you. And he says that he and Danny Masterson had a bet over like whether he would use tongue. I think I understood the story as Danny Masterson wanted him to use tongue with the onset first kiss for 14 year old Mila Kunis. And they were like laughing about it. Then there's like another one where Ashton and Mila are doing a commercial and Ashton says, yeah, they told me if I did this, that Mila would sit on my lap. She's 15 at the time. He's he's 20. And so it's like, y'all could have said nothing. And then I haven't even said the worst, most conspiratorial one, which is that Ashton is once again being placed at a murder scene. Yeah. Um, and people are asking questions about, about that. Not that he yeah. murdered him, Not but that like, he murdered. Millie, Millie, do you want to, <laughs> Millie, do you want to give like the debrief on, on that theory? Well, the, mur- well, the murder thing was he was dating, uh, he was dating someone and he went to go pick her up and then no one answered. So he, whatever. But like the conspiracy is that he saw he he said that he saw wine stains quote unquote outside and whatever but the conspiracy is that he entered the apartment and he saw her body but he didn't want to get involved and he called his team first and then called the like he took like way too long and like didn't want to implicate himself and then there's another theory that like he was cheating on her and that's why he was late to pick her or some crazy shit but it's just like another it, it's just bringing shit to light that he didn't want to light. And another interview that I saw or like a clip from Punked that I saw, which was fucking crazy, was he was talking about Hillary Duff. And by then he was a, a legit grown ass man when he was doing Punked. And he was like, Hillary Duff, um, she was 15 at the time. 
He's like, Hillary Duff's one of those girls that everybody's waiting to turn 18, just like the Olsen twins. So Ew. that we can, yeah. like, and so you know what? gross. I never would have remembered how gross he was had there not been this trigger. Like, because I probably didn't clock that. I watched that punk episode 15 years ago when we were all problem, we, when we all held problematic attitudes. Like, they didn't have to do this to themselves. Exactly. And I've heard that about a, mo- a million people. Oh, we can't wait till she turns 18. We can't. Like, that is very much our early 2000s humor. But Ugh. guess what? Oh. If you would have, that's why I said you should have sat there and ate your food and been like, hey, sorry, we love Danny, but we can't get involved. Mm -hmm. But you didn't. And now everyone's resurfacing all your shit. You look fucking shady. Now people are asking questions about this fucking poor murder, which people are saying like they're pissed again. He did not murder this girl. But people are saying because he like waited too long and didn't do the right thing about like telling police immediately, that guy who murdered her was able to like kill again. Mm. You know, so and that's based on I if correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason that came back up is because the woman who was Danny Masterson's girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, that accuser who ultimately like he wasn't convicted of raping her, but she was one of the three posted a s- Instagram story that was very cryptic being like Ashton. I was there that day and I heard you call Danny and like, I know that the story that you gave the police, which basically he said that he arrived for their date. She didn't answer the door. He saw wine stains on the ground, thought it was weird, but left. Like she posted this story basically being like, I know that you actually saw the body Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I mean, yeah, it's definitely like you should have sat there and ate your food. Number one. And also it's been bringing to light. So I guess they have this like sex trafficking yes. profit thing. Yeah. Which again is another thing where it's like, why the fuck are you writing character letters for someone who's been convicted of two rapes accused of many more? Mm-hmm. If you have a sex trafficking nonprofit, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And now people, it's kind of just bringing up what I think is an important conversation about these, like, this kind of, like, moral panic that especially is happening on social media around sex trafficking and how it often talks about it in a way that isn't really what the reality of, like, sex trafficking and assault really is. And there was, um, You're Wrong About did a re-release last week about all of this because they watched that weird QAnon movie that came out and then also talked about like the realities of sex trafficking and how it's like not the way these TikTok people portray it where they're like if you find a napkin on your car then you've been marked by a sex trafficker who's gonna poison you and like get you and it's like that's not really what it is it's actually usually like a form of intimate partner violence exactly from someone that you actually know exactly who's like manipulated you into you know stepping it up a little oh yeah Yeah. if you love me yeah which is exactly like the point with these but th- now we're looking into his fucking nonprofit and there are shady dealings yeah. and shady contracts with Amazon and police departments and all this stuff that we just would never have dug into if he would have right. just sat there and Absolutely. ate his food. I would never have spent one second thinking about Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis's anti-sex trafficking nonprofit 
And no, I would have forgotten this- that he was at a murder scene. Listen, listen, if I'm if I'm found at a murder scene and I had nothing to do with it, I simply am just like not going to I'm gonna limit my engagement with the legal system to only only on a need to engage basis for the rest of my life. I'm not writing letters about serial rapists. The one thing that I will say about all of this, and it made me think about last week too, and how I feel like the media is getting a little bit better about um covering these things with women because I feel like I saw, like we talked about last week, like I think that, yes, the the TMZs and the page six and the post were chomping at the bit to say that Sophie Turner sucks. But, you know, you can imagine 10 years ago people turning on Sophie Turner and um, Immediately. You know, rallying to support Ashton and Mila and then being like, oh, maybe those women are wrong. So it has been encouraging to see um, the kind of social media reaction to be like, no, fuck you. Women don't lie about this. Um, we're going to we're going to rally and unearth everything we can. That's unflattering because it's frankly fair retribution for this. And now for our next segment, Are Men Okay? And for the first time ever joining this edition of Our Men Okay is a man. And it's our favorite man, <laughs> one of our top men. Brian Russell Smith is back. It's oh my God, it's been so long. What a what oh, a what a lovely face to see in the riverside. I couldn't be more excited to be a part of the segment. <laughs> <laughs> Soccer, Spain, terrible men. We've got it all. Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. got it all. So we have been talking about this story for weeks and weeks and weeks. Brian is joining us from Spain to unpack the resignation of Luis Rubiales. More than three weeks after forcing a kiss on player Jenny Hermoso, the head of the Royal Spanish Football Federation has finally stepped down amid investigations from FIFA and Spanish prosecutors. So, I mean, as you can guess, he did not. uh, Do you think he wrote a statement that says, I'm so sorry, I see the error of my ways. It is time for me to go. He did not write that statement. He said uh, he's (laughs) resigning now because, quote, the powers that be will prevent my return. Um, And he said, quote, my daughters and my family and the people that love me have suffered the effects of an excessive persecution as well as (laughs) many falsehoods. But it is also true that in the street, every day more, the truth is being imposed. Now, I would (laughs) guess that's an interesting translation. In the street, every day more, the truth is being imposed. I assume he means they're like, the people that are talking about this know know the truth. So Brian is here because he has been in Spain for the Women's World Cup victory, the Jorge Vilda controversy, the Luis Rubiales incident. Brian, what has it been like there? What are people talking about? What kind of conversations has this like provoked? You're on the ground. Boots on What's the ground. What's being imposed in the street? <laughs> so I, I want to go back to the beginning. So I got uh, here. Please like, take us there. Literally August 16th. It'll be day 29. My flight was canceled to reschedule tomorrow. I was supposed to be on a plane, plane right now. So... I was excited. I was like, oh my God, Spain is going to be in the World Cup finals while I'm there. Everyone's going to be so excited about this. <laughs> Plus, they were not. I was like, to my, I was going to be in the north of Spain in a city called San Sebastian. I was like, I'm going to find a bar. I'm going to talk to my friends there and be like, hey, where should we go and watch the game? And they're like, what game? What World Cup? Oh, no. And I was like, are you serious? So, Spain is not the most feminist country. Mm -hmm. um to put it lightly and i don't people just don't seem to have cared about women's soccer as much and you know they Mm -hmm. won everyone was excited about that this and but it didn't seem like it was a big topic of conversation however once this happened there was so much attention on it and it was and so part of me felt like oh, it sucks that they won and then this is what everyone is talking about Mm. but now they're talking about it you know what I mean? And it was interesting to see like people on the street and in restaurants, like everyone was talking about this kiss. 
And we were in a restaurant sitting next to a couple, a male and a female couple. And the wife was not having it. He was like, who cares? It was just this. It was just that. And it seems to be a consensus of women being like, finally, really being like, it was not okay. It was not cool. Literally everywhere, everyone was talking about this. You And then you would walk on the street and there would be protests. It's like every couple is fighting about this. Whoa. Every couple is fighting about this. And so part of me was like, like I said, upset that this is what brought the attention to it. But now I'm, I'm like, maybe people are going to be more involved in women's soccer here in Spain. And it's really been really interesting because I think had, I mean, it's, you know, this shouldn't have been the reason that people started to care. I do sort of, it's kind of reminds me of when Megan Rapino was like, I'm not going to the fucking White House in the last mm-hmm. World Cup if they mm-hmm. win because when Donald Trump was president and that picked up so much media outlet and so much news and everyone started talking about it. I, I think that this could possibly be the beginning of a movement here like that in Spain. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like also the last round, I know what kind of like got me invested in the last World Cup was like, oh, there's an equal pay thing going on. So I'm really invested mm-hmm. in this. Like I want them to do really well so that they are leveraged and have leverage and are set up well for that. Like, do you think there are people that found out that Spain won the World Cup by learning that because there was a non-consensual kiss? I do. I really do. I mean, I don't yeah. think Spain is not Spain is not so used to being in um, such international news, um, you know, but this was huge this was everywhere and literally everyone was talking about it in every single corner of everywhere we went and you know i mean i'm obviously probably fans with a lot more feminist people but um it was really interesting (laughs) to see like people sticking up for themselves that i don't think that they would have as much before you know what i mean um it was me me and antonio were listening to this couple and this is happening a couple of times and just her face was like, fuck you. And he was getting so frustrated. <laughs> yeah. that, and she was just like not having it. And we were like getting so We were like quietly listening to them and not even talking. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. And it does make you think about like other instances where it's like, it'll take something like that to like really break open you know, like, honestly, like, you know, along gender lines, like, I feel like Trump's Access Hollywood tape, like, Roe versus Wade, like, a lot of men just responding, like, is it really that big of a deal? It's like, yeah, it fucking is. Are are you kidding? So did you see any, like, what are people saying after he resigned? I think everyone's just like, thank God it's over. It's yeah. been, it's just been, he always, how is he going to do his job? And I think once, I think once the male soccer players really started to come out too, um, I think that's when yeah. we also started to see a bigger switch in like public displays of like their, where they were, where they were, where they at, were at mentally for it. Yeah, that's fascinating because I feel like from here, like you said, we were sort of like, oh, how annoying that this victory is kind of marred by marred by this event. But the way that the event played out, like with sort of like the cultural kind of milieu that's there, it actually kind of like had the positive effect in terms of like enlightening more people to kind of gender dynamics and what kind of behavior is okay. And like, what is not okay? Because it's, you know, Millie, like we've been saying that Spain has a lot of like, they seem like feminist policies, but it sounds like because they're corrective, they're trying to correct something like an inherent kind of like machismo and lack of feminism within the culture that needs to be kind of canceled out via policy. Yeah. I think it's just also just, yeah, like machismo, like thinking. And I, like, I I used to, I use like this, like, um, example, like, you can uh, refer to your wife as 
my woman, my mi mujer, but you can't, like, you wouldn't never say mm. my man, mi hombre, you know what I mean, as a husband. And I just think that there's so many, like, intricacies in the culture that kind of haven't really started to switch, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like with things like this, it's like, like the way that kind of, I mean, Me Too ended up being like a global movement in general, but I feel like the reason that Me Too took off in the U.S. was because it spoke to this very like um, prescient issue of like American feminism, which was how we're treated uh, initially, how we're treated at work and what is expected of women in the workplace and how much like sexual harassment and stuff is imposed on women who work. And it seems like this really took off in Spain because I think that, you know, it showed the way that, like, even in a woman's victory, men can, like, impose this thing. Like, they can take your victorious moment from you and turn it into this, like, masculine crotch-grabbing, I'm-gonna-kiss-you, like, situation, which probably just really rang true for Spanish women on a day-to-day basis. And again, it's like, these are issues that all women face in various degrees, but I feel like when something really takes off like this, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's because there is like a specific, like like the women in Spain who watched it were like, God, I've been in that situation in a lower scale a million fucking times where I'm just trying to enjoy myself and some guy is like grabbing his dick and kissing me and like being fucking annoying. Assuming that Luis Rubiales' mother is finally allowing herself to eat. Brian, what's what's the best meal you've had in Spain the past 29 days you think she should she should indulge? Oh, my gosh. What a tough, tough question. Um, I can I mean. There's, I, I've had this first, I've had this meal for the first time here. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to plug this one. It's called cachopo. Basically Ooh. it's you take two pieces of meat, you put jamon in, in the middle of it, like ham, mm. and then you cover it in batter and you deep fry it. Oh, and you also put cheese in it. <laughs> of course. It is like that sounds like this, an American, wow. Wow. It's, yeah. It's, that's probably why I love it so much. It's like the size of a, like, um, like a legal letter paper. <laughs> Mr. Like to account thick. for your calorie deficit, I hope she indulges herself uh, quite a few. Thank you so much. That's so fascinating. A definite element that like we we hadn't kind of considered how kind of like yeah. the local kind of like where people are at and how feminism manifests and sexism for the most people. Um, it was definitely kind of like a trigger point. So yeah, thanks, I, Brian. I, can, I can't could, wait to see, see you back. People, yeah, me too. I could just, I should, like, just <laughs> say like, I could see women and people here starting to care more about women's football, AKA soccer. And I do think it will have a like pushed in a lot of women's views of feminism and activism. Yeah. I mean, what a team to root for the people that just had to go through all of this. It definitely imbues it with it's like, fuck yeah, I want those women to succeed in spite, in spite of those men. So next world cup will be a really fun one to watch. That is our show until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.